In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and unto the ages of all ages, amen. So today is Thomas Sunday, a minor feast of the Lord um, uh, in, in the church, and it's the Sunday which follows the resurrection. And um, it's called Thomas Sunday because um, today is the day where Jesus affirmed to all of his disciples, including Thomas, that he is indeed risen. And this business of the resurrection is like really, really, really important. In fact, if you wanted to discredit Christianity in one blow, undoing the resurrection or making, making it seem uh, unbelievable, uh, making the resurrection seem unbelievable would be enough to make most or almost all of the rest of the faith of the Christian church obsolete. Um, and uh, many, people have, many people have gone back and forth uh, about that, and there's so much that could be said about that. But I want to share with you a spiritual message. I want to share with you a spiritual message that, uh, that you could take something home with today, and that it's something you can hold God to. Now, what's this business with Thomas? I mean, honestly, Jesus had 12 disciples and a multitude of apostles, 70 apostles, and then many more after that, 120, and then over 500 at one point. And so, um, like, what's the business with Thomas? I mean, Judas betrayed him. The rest of the disciples ran for their lives, Thomas included. So, like, why is it such a big deal? Why would it have been such a big deal if, uh, you know, if 10 of his disciples would have believed, the other one hung himself, and uh, Thomas just didn't believe, and Jesus would have just left things the way they were? See, that's what we're celebrating when we celebrate Thomas Sunday. We're celebrating that it's too precious for Christ that one person, just one person, not believe in him, be it Thomas or anybody else. And if you think about it, if you read the Gospels carefully, you'll find that the other disciples didn't necessarily believe in the resurrection before they met Jesus either. They just had the luxury of meeting Jesus before a week before Thomas met him. So they met Jesus a week before when Thomas wasn't there and they believed in his resurrection because they talked to him, because they saw him, because they touched him, because he ate with them. And so Thomas not believing, like we often call Thomas like doubting Thomas and so on and so on, but he's not very different, St. Thomas, from you or me. And if we read closely, we'll find that there's only one reference, and it's in the Gospel of John, that anybody believed anything before they met Christ. In fact, if you read the Gospels carefully, because you see the four resurrection accounts in the four Gospels, they don't contradict each other. The four, they, they complete each other. Each Gospel writer was writing for a purpose. You'll find that... The, the women went to the tomb early in the morning and they saw in the Gospel of Matthew the angel moving the stone away from the tomb. So the women and the guards were 
eyewitnesses to the fact that when the stone was rolled away from the tomb and the seal was intact, before the stone was rolled away, the tomb was empty. See, if, if all of this happened, so Jesus rose from the dead and nobody ever saw Jesus rising from the dead. So this, this lovely icon that we have here is not accurate. But that's okay. None of our icons are accurate. St. Stephen wasn't standing holding the censer at the same time as he was being stoned. You know, St. Mark wasn't standing with a lion on the shores of Alexandria. He met the lion in the middle of the desert. These elements of the stories of the saints are all brought together in the icon to, to show us all the different elements that have to do with the message of the icon. But I'm pointing out that this icon is not accurate, not to put, take away from the picture, or from, this is a picture, not an icon, it doesn't matter, right? But to help, to, to help you get the facts straight in your head. Jesus, nobody saw Jesus coming out of the tomb. They saw Jesus outside the tomb. They saw the tomb being opened and they saw the tomb empty. Now, you know what's crazy? What's crazy is that Mary Magdalene went and told the disciples. Then she came back with John and Peter. And when she came back with St. John and St. Peter, she saw Jesus and she thought that he was the gardener. And what did she say to him? She saw the tomb open the angel come, the open, the two angels in the tomb tell the, the women that he is risen, he is not here. She saw the, the linens folded neatly inside the tomb. She went and told the disciples, he's risen, he's not in the tomb. The disciples ran from where they were to the tomb and checked it out and it says John believed doesn't say what he believed and a lot of the church fathers talk about we don't really know what he believed maybe he just believed what Mary Magdalene said but did he believe that Jesus was risen we don't know because we have evidence later that some of the disciples didn't believe St. Mary Magdalene saw all of this and then she lingers in the tomb afterwards she came back with John, St. John and St. Peter and she lingers afterwards and she sees Jesus and she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. And she says to him, where have you taken his body away? So, evidences of the resurrection that St. Mary Magdalene saw. Not putting down St. Mary Magdalene. Her icon is right up there. I love St. Mary Magdalene from all my heart. But this is you and this is me. This is not Thomas and this is not St. Mary Magdalene. This is you and this is me, right? She saw the tomb being opened. She saw the angel brighter than lightning, it says in St. Matthew. She saw the angel come, open the tomb. She saw the guards run for their lives. She saw that the tomb was empty. She saw that the, the linens were folded there neatly and tidily. If anybody robbed a tomb for any reason, they robbed it for the goods that were there. The corpse was not considered a good. Okay, it was for the resellable goods that were there. The linens were really expensive and they were sitting right there for the taking. No one took them. Rich people were buried with their jewels. Grave robbers would rob the jewels, but they'd leave the corpse. What are they going to do with the corpse? Right? The corpse was missing. The expensive stuff, the linens were left there. She saw the angels. 
She went and told the disciples. John believed. We don't know what he believed. All these different evidences that St. Mary Magdalene had. And yet when she sees the gardener, she doesn't tell him the craziest thing happened here in your garden. Can you believe it? While you were sleeping at home, Mr. Gardener, a man who was dead rose from the dead. She doesn't say that. She says, where have you taken him away that we may, that we may take him? Like, fine, take the expensive stuff, but give us our Jesus. She was still mourning. She was still weeping. When the angels told him, rejoice for he is risen. What I'm getting at here is that faith is not this magical thing that happens where you, 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 you fall asleep one day, wake up the next morning, and you're like, ah, oh, I believe. Faith may be something where you see one thing and it hits you like a ton of bricks and it's enough to make you believe. Or it may be a process. It may be a process of collecting evidence. Enough evidence to make you believe that God Almighty chose to come and manifest Himself, like the hymns were saying, in the flesh and participate with us in every single way of our lives and everything that we do except for sin alone. And then to die and to suffer on our behalf and then to rise from the dead again and to ascend to heaven and to give us His Holy Spirit. What would it take to make you believe that? If you're expecting and hoping that it's going to be one thing, you're going to be, see one person who's sick in hospital and they're going to be healed, good for you. Maybe that is the case. But for St. Mary Magdalene, it wasn't. For Thomas, it was. St. Thomas saw Christ. It wasn't enough for him to hear all of these things that he couldn't explain. If you would have asked Thomas, sometime during St. Thomas, during some time during this week, and you would have asked him, St. Thomas, explain to me, fine, you don't believe, fine, explain to me where the corpse went to and the linens were still there. Why would the corpse magically walk away? And the linens still be there if Jesus wasn't risen. Explain that to me. St. Thomas probably would have told you, I don't know. I can't put two and two together, but I'm going to tell you, and honestly, I'm a simple person. I'm a carpenter. St. Thomas was a craftsman. He was a carpenter like Jesus. He said, I'm a simple man. I'm a carpenter. This is how I imagine the conversation might have went. And I got to tell you, it just doesn't make sense to me. People who are dead don't just get up and walk away and fold and make their bed after themselves. They just, that just doesn't happen. We haven't seen that at all. What about the daughter of Jairus, Thomas? What about her? Yeah, but Jesus raised her from the dead. Who's, if Jesus is dead, who's going to raise him? He'll raise himself. But he's dead. The conversation must have went something like that. And you and I have this, these conversations in our heads. And the message of Thomas Sunday, why it's a feast worth celebrating, like worth celebrating, like your birthday is worth celebrating, like your anniversaries are worth celebrating, like whatever other thing in your life is that you celebrate is worth celebrating. Why is this worth celebrating? Is that God knows, He understands that it's not easy to just wake up one morning and believe. 
and that he has accommodation for that. He has, he has prepared and planned for that. And he knows what it will take for you to believe and for me to believe. And he's willing to walk you through that process the way he walked St. Mary Magdalene through that process, the way he walked St. Thomas through that process. He's willing to do that. And he's not upset with you because you have difficulty believing some things in the faith. He knows that and he's okay with that. And he's already prepared. He's already prepared what he's going to do to bring you and to bring me to a place where you, can, you and I can fall on our knees before him and say, My Lord and my God. See, the end of the story is not St. Saint Thomas being convinced that Jesus is risen. The end of the story is St. Thomas being convinced that Jesus is God. The daughter of Jairus wasn't God. The, the son of the widow of Nain wasn't God. They all died and came back to life. Lazarus was dead for four days, rotting in the tomb. He came back to life. That didn't make him God. See, God wants to bring you and me to a place where we can fall on our knees before Him and declare that He is God. And if He is indeed God Almighty, Creator of the universe, that is a game changer. That is a game changer. If the Creator of the universe knows what it would take to make you believe and is willing to reorganize the events of the universe to help you and to meet me to believe, how much interest does he have in you? Just you. You in the singular, not you in the plural. In French, there's like tu and vous. This is a tu, okay? To you, singular. Me, singular. The one person is of unlimited value to him that's what we're celebrating we're celebrating that god almighty creator of heaven and earth finds you and me too precious to let go of so don't feel bad if you have doubts don't be upset if you have doubts don't be upset if somebody that you love has doubts it's normal I have my doubts. And I remember having, I remember when I was thinking, I think I was in grade 9 or 10 or something in French class, we were reading The Existentialists, Albert Camus and Friends, right? And I took this stuff very seriously and it sent me into this very dark place. I'll finish with this story. It sent me into this very dark place where I really didn't really know anymore whether we actually existed or not. And I won't take you there because it was a really dark place and, and uh, I don't want you to necessarily visit it unless you want to. Um, and I was really disturbed, really disturbed. We're not talking about believing in God or not. We're talking about believing in existence or not. How do we know that any of this is real? How do we know that this is real and our dreams are a dream? Maybe our dreams are what's real. And this is, I had a dream last night that was so real that like I want to call up the person that I dreamt about and ask him like, you know, he's a really holy man, one of my childhood friends, but he's like a living saint now. And I want to call him, you know, and ask him, what were you doing at 2.30 in the morning? <laughs> What's your alibi? Because you were, you were in my room. 
right? How do we know that th- that's not real and this is, all, this is all a dream? Anyways, I had my head lost in these things and I was unconsolable. I called up my spiritual father and I was just bawling on the phone. He said, why don't you come over? So I went over to his place and uh, I sat with him and I was just crying and crying. And, I, and he asked me, what's wrong? And I, and I tried to explain to him and he looked at me and he said, you know what? The problem is that you think that your doubts are contrary to your faith. Your doubts are an invitation from God to examine your faith more closely. You accepted things as a child and you believed as a child, like St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. But now you're growing up and becoming a man or a woman. You're speaking to me. And now you need the faith of a man. The faith of a child that you had was good when you were a child. Now you're getting older and you're getting, you're thinking more about things and you're understanding things and you're being exposed to things you weren't exposed to as a child. And you need to figure out how these things fit into your worldview. You're going to have to re-examine your faith. You're going to have to re-examine your worldview. That's not a problem. It's an invitation. And he said this to me and this is what finally convinced me that it was okay to doubt as so long as I was willing to examine my faith more closely. He told me that when you, he was a gardener, my previous spiritual father, he loved gardening. He said, when you plant a little seedling, the winds come and the storms come and they push it left and right. And because it's still very young and immature, it's still very flexible. And so it bends with the wind and the winds push it this way and it goes that way. And then the winds push it that way, this way and it goes that way. And it goes whichever way the wind pushes it. And it looks to the big tree and it says, man, I wish I could just stand tall in the storm and nothing would faze me. And as the winds push it left and right, it screams out to the creator of the elements and, sa- and says, God, the storm is going to rip me right out from my roots. Stop the storm. And the storm doesn't stop. Because the maker of the tree is the same one who's making the elements. And he knows that if the tree doesn't have any storms, it's going to grow its roots horizontally. It's going to grow its roots, roots just under the surface to collect as much water as possible. And it will never grow its roots deep. But it's the storms that push the little seedling left and right and left and right that cause it to, to force its roots to grow deep. And its roots growing dre- deep is where it goes and finds deep nutrients and nutrition that have been dissolved by the water as it goes, as the water seeps down through the soil and that takes a lot more time and a lot more effort than the water which is just on the soil under the surface of the soil. The water that's gone the whole way to the bottom has dissolved nutrients all the way down and as the roots suck that up, it sucks up much richer. And God wants your roots and my roots to be deep and He knows that. And He knows that the winds of doubt are the thing which will cause you and me to force ourselves to examine things more deeply, 
to know him more deeply, to find the evidence, which St. Athanasius tells us is smack right in our face. It's, it's plain in plain sight. You don't, need to, to, you don't need to be a detective to find it. It's right there in front of us. But it's for the lack of our looking, St. Athanasius tells us, that we don't see it. But these winds of doubt force us to look for the evidence and to find it and to fall on our knees with St. Thomas and proclaim. This isn't a feast because St. Thomas doubted. This is a feast because St. Thomas proclaimed, with you and me one day, my Lord and my God. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. I have sinned. Forgive me, my fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Please pray for me.